In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking, the woke mob is canceling everything, and the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Buddy, what this current situation requires of a man or two men, as the case may be, living in our country today, living in our world today, is a stiff upper lip mm -hmm. among potentially other things. And uh, therefore, I thought that song would be appropriate to open the podcast today. I think it's uh, highly appropriate. I, I, I tell you what, I saw ACDC in concert I believe sometime in the early nineties at the old Boston garden. Did you? I, I think so. I think that was it. It was either them or it was that uh, the Ringling brothers deal with the circus and the clowns. Yes. Oh, kiss. Yes. All it was right. either well, kiss or a, Okay. I'm not sure, but they, they or all were they to have a in stiff... costume. Well, again, that's something a little fuzzy again. They, they, those were the uh, undergrad days, but good, important stuff here each week. We'd like to lead you into our podcast uh, with this uh, news you can use, so to speak. David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, we're here. We mean business. Uh, you can learn more about our show on our website, which uh, the URL is ipfrequently.com. And uh, we, we, we recommend you pick up a podcast on the Salem Podcast Network, uh, the Salem Podcast Network, the network of all the most important podcasts of the day. I believe uh, uh, Larry Elder is, is on there, Brad. I believe the uh, lineage of Lawrence Pope, uh, Lawrence Welk, rather, is uh, on there. Lawrence Pope as well, famous uh, uh, celloist in and of himself. And I believe they also have a new program from the My Pillow guy, and we fit in very nicely over at Salem. I believe that's correct on all counts. I, again, I, I have no grounds to dispute, frankly, any of that. So this week, uh, we go to the two big news items of the week. First, Brad, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, Joseph R. Biden IV, uh, was on 60 Minutes. Do you happen to catch any of that? No, no. I, I did actually see whilst watching a football game, which I guess must have been on CBS, uh, that that was going to be on 60 Minutes. And so I made a mental note. I said to myself, self, whatever you do, do not loiter in front of this television following the football game or you might catch a glimpse of that and it will push you over the edge. And so I simply didn't, buddy. As soon as the last play from scrimmage was completed in that football game, I turned the TV off. I watched the whole thing. I can't believe you did that. Pillar to Post. No, I did. I did. I watched it. I didn't watch it live, although I don't know if anyone did. But I, they actually had Biden on, and then they had his compatriot, the president of Iran, on after that. Um, and it was a nice sense. it was a nice back to back. Uh, they, they, were, yeah. they were certainly on the same sheet of music, which was nice. Um, but so so Biden gets up there and he, you know, he, he does the thing where he squints and he, you know, <laughs> and then they, they ask him about the first question is about inflation. It was a good question about inflation and the crushing report from last week about the uh, I think the inflation uh, index is now up to eight point three percent, a 40 year high. 
And well, didn't we passed the uh, you know anti-inflation bill. I thought we passed that. I thought that was in. I thought we inflation did. was handled. Oh, we okay. did. And okay. during the uh, during the victory party they had on the south lawn of the White House, mm-hmm. um, they uh, where James Taylor was singing "Fire and Rain." Um, uh, they came out with this this report about inflation, and the market oh, tanked about thirteen hundred points during during the performance of Fire and Rain. But anyway, yeah. oh, uh, the okay. president the, the president said, "Listen, listen, you have to hey, look. You know, just look, look. Yeah. You need to understand." And he said, um, "While inflation is at eight point three percent, it's only up from eight point two percent last month." So. And let me just make sure I understand, right? Mm-hmm. I want, I want to, I want to, you know, I don't want to disparage where it's it's not necessary or appropriate. So the president is taking the position that inflation, which is you know at as you mentioned a forty year high, that we shouldn't be overly concerned about that because while it is going up, it is only going up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Despite the passing of the whatever they called it, Anti-Inflation Act or, you know, Inflation Eradication Act or whatever, just completely horseshit name they gave that bill. Um, it continues to go up and continues to set record highs. And, and the president's response to that is, is all of the folks, citizens of his country are scrambling to try and put together enough money to eat. Uh, his response is, well, it's only going up a little bit. I mean, come on. I, I think that's that right. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And at least, you know, it's not over 10% was, was his primary argument. Well, again, as I, I commonly say here on these self-same airwaves is keep it up, keep it up. I mean, again, even the folks who are desperate to believe that Joe Biden has the capacity to be the president, that he is, you know, going to, you know, rectify whatever evils folks may believe Trump brought to face this nation as much as folks may want to believe that eventually they're going to have to look at their bank accounts and look at the costs of things and look at all of the foreign policy disasters which have arisen under the biden presidency and they're going to have to say "Eh, we got to make a change here i'm not exactly sure what we're going to do but we got to make a change yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty clearly going to happen. But listen, he wasn't done making news. He then oh. pivoted to COVID, right? Oh, pivoted to, okay. and, mm-hmm. and part of this, by the way, he was at the the uh, the Detroit Auto Show, right? He was at the Detroit Auto Show, and he was driving around. First of all, I don't didn't even know he could still drive legally. I mean, that's got to be a hazard. But he was driving around indoors in like this new Fiat or something, or kind of like that scene from the Blues Brothers movie where they're driving through the mall, that kind of a thing. Lot slower, a lot slower. Oh, I mean, lot like slower. Okay, mm-hmm. going like three, two and a half, three miles an hour, but just puttering around, and, uh, and so he's driving this car. He's indoors. He's taking the victory lap over the over the big inflation report where the market tanked thirteen hundred points, and then he starts talking about COVID, and he basically said, "Look, look, look, the pandemic is over." Mic drop. Are we are we finally admitting that at this point? <laughs> So he said the pandemic is over. He said, look, there's no, look, look, there's no one here wearing masks. Look, it's over. I mean, which begs so many questions. But so he announced that. And that was the next bit of news he announced. Then, then uh, your boy announced, he was asked specifically about Taiwan and whether or not the U.S. still have the same one China policy with Taiwan, which, by the way, I, I couldn't describe it to you if you put a gun to my head. I have no idea how that whole thing works. I know it's, you know, no, we, no one does. Yeah. We recognize that 
Taiwan, maybe some, all this. Shit. So, but it's basically this very, very intricate, finally negotiated policy that no one can understand, right? Because it's not written down anywhere. And, um, and so they asked him point blank, would the U.S. put boots on the ground to defend Taiwan against an attack by China? Hmm. And he said, yes. And then the next thing you know, they sit on 60 Minutes. And, you know, they do the overview. They do the yeah. overview. Yeah. The overview was that the uh, White House uh, communications office called them after the interview and uh, uh, stated that the president did not intend to change the U.S.'s nuanced one China policy. And uh, it remained the same. And basically, you know, that the president was out a little bit of ahead of his skis when he said that the uh, U.S. was prepared to put ground troops into Taiwan to defend it yeah. from a Chinese attack. Again, I'm, I, I, let's set aside for a moment that that's just ridiculous for any president to make any statement along those lines. Right. Let's just set aside the fact that that is a ridiculous that B any president who wasn't a doddering old fool would no, have known to just say, hey, you know, I can't go into the, the strategies that we have in place to deal with the many and various, you know, foreign policy challenges facing us, right? That would be unwise. It would give our adversaries information that they don't need to have. But you can trust me when I tell you the plan we have in place for Taiwan is an exceptional one. Right? And then you just stop talking, right? Because you're the president. No one's going to challenge you on that, right? So anybody would have known to do that, right? But my real question is, why does the Biden White House, why do his handlers allow him to be on programs like this knowing? And the reason that, that 60 Minutes got that call so quickly is because someone in the communications office already had the phone to their ear, already had 60 Minutes on speed dial. And as soon as they heard those words come out of his mouth, they just hit that one button, boop. And yeah. then they said, hey, we got to walk that back. So I, that's the part that I don't get. I mean, they have to know that there is no chance he makes it all the way through that interview without saying something at least moronic and potentially devastating to the national security of the United States, which he did. So why would you ever let him on the program? Well, that's a good point. I mean, you shouldn't he, he shouldn't be on the program, but he he was and and they backed it up. And then he was asked about reelection and he said, well, I'm not I'm not there yet. I'll I'll decide after we get our ass handed to us in the midterms <laughs> um, about running. So that was net new news, too, because I'm sure there are a lot of people that are very excited about uh, about that. Um, but all in all, I, I mean, I think nothing nothing was surprising about this uh this performance except the fact that they let him do it i mean they, they, once you get into it he's actually being asked questions um he comes across as a little bit a uh, little bit high strung uh and then he goes back and forth between that and being incoherent uh and then he's just going to wing it and that always works well for him yeah and for the country well, I'll tell you what, there's other big news this week out of San Francisco, your old stomping grounds. I believe you spent most of your formative years swimming in the San Francisco Bay. And uh, now there is a controversy because, you know, they're doing all of that filtration of human waste um, from all the, the residents out there. And then the, the resulting uh, product gets dumped into that bay. And apparently San Francisco Bay is now covered with a giant algae bloom. And that can't be good. Apparently, this giant algae bloom is the subject of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, angst in the Bay Area. I guess they're they're dumping 
you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of treated human waste into the bay. And uh, there's a big, uh, uh, big problem out there. But the good news is, the good news is they are updating. They have a plan now to update all of the, um, all of the plants in the region, all of them, right? Uh, all of these, uh, these um, uh, treatment plants. Uh, to the tune of $14 billion is what it's going to cost to retrofit those so they get rid of the giant algae bloom in San Francisco Bay. And I got to ask you, I got to ask you, as someone who enjoyed the bay as a child, who fished there, who, I believe you spearfished, what is your thought here? Do you think it makes sense for the feds to come in and fund this $14 billion um, upgrade to the treatment plants? Or do you think we should just say, screw it um, and let them live with a giant algae bloom? Well, it may solve itself, right? Because the last time that you and I were in San Francisco, which I believe was, you know, a year, maybe two years ago, most of the human waste was on the sidewalks. Um, I, no, I don't think the Fed should have to come in and do that. Why is that not California's problem? They have plenty of money to spend on other tomfoolery. Why don't they have money for that? That's true. And then finally, Brad, the final news item of the week, the situation on the island state of Japan, uh, Typhoon Nanmadal has slammed into Japan. Nine million people have had to evacuate, but uh, it looks like a tough one for the people of Japan. And, and, the, and the real upside here is that, Brad, you and I are not going to have to get on that Japan airline flight this weekend and fly over there because of the weather crisis. Yeah, that's great. Anytime we can avoid the 14 to 15 hour flight to Japan, I am for it. Having said that, it is unfortunate that that comes at the cost of a major typhoon causing 9 million people to have to evacuate. The typhoon doesn't even necessarily have to be that large because if it just hits one square mile, that's 9 million folks. A lot of people. Brad, next we go to uh, some of the big items in uh, uh, business news and what we like to call the business minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The bizmen. Bizmen. And this week, Brad, uh, chaos, um, calamity, uh, disaster, natural disasters, and otherwise, we've seen that in the Pacific Rim uh, that uh, caused us to cancel our trip. Well, uh, something that makes that pale in comparison, uh, Brad, there is a big uh, potential uh, for a huge beer shortage in the uh, United States and uh, beyond uh, this holiday season. Of course, beer is something that we all enjoy. Everyone likes football, um, soccer, golf. Really had tennis, any sport, but there is a big, uh, big problem. The beer industry is facing calamity. Uh, of course, I'm talking about uh, this uh, Jackson Dome, Jackson Dome, which uh, is uh, uh, part of a raw um, gas mine uh, that uh, is where most of the CO2 in this country comes from. It's in Missouri, and it is now being impacted by an extinct uh, volcano in Missouri. And it is jeopardizing the CO2 supply in this country. And as a result of that and this contamination, it looks like the uh, amount of food grade CO2 is going to be at an all-time low this fall. And you're going to have to pick your poison in terms of uh, what uh, beer is going to be available. It's not going to be much. And we're looking at a 3 or 4x increase in the price of beer. And that's even if you can find it. That's even if you can find it. So uh, this is probably the biggest business disaster in certainly in our lifetime. Uh, the Great Recession, the Depression, I believe you lived through that. Um, Teapot Dome, the Teapot Dome scandal, 
this seems a lot bigger. Um, what do you think about this? And are you running out to uh, refresh your collection of beer before this hits the uh, fan? Well, no. See, fortunately for me, I have sort of aged out of beer. I do love beer. I have always loved beer. Um, but it's just too heavy at this point. I'm in my mid-50s, and you know the juice just ain't worth the squeeze anymore in terms of the calorie count, et cetera. And so this will not directly impact me or you, for that matter. I believe you have also cut back on your beer consumption. Uh, but I do find it interesting. So there is a mine. I, I didn't realize you mined gas. It wouldn't seem like that would be the appropriate verb, maybe collect gas. But so you're telling me there's one place in Missouri that from which folks who need carbon dioxide get it. That and is my understanding. Impact by a volcano. It is. It is the largest largest carbon dioxide mine in the wow. United States, yeah. and it's okay. called this Jackson Dome, Jackson and it's Dome. being impacted by a um, uh, by some underground volcano. And I guess since 1977, uh, this is um, this this source has provided all of this carbon dioxide to the American food industry. And so now the supply has somehow become contaminated due to raw gas coming from this uh, uh, dormant volcano. And well, so I would this presume is a, this, this would impact more than just the beer industry, right? I mean, wouldn't this also impact the soda industry or pop, as some may call it, the bubbly water industry? I mean, I would imagine there are multiple industries that uh, are going to be impacted here. I think that's probably right. But of course, our listeners don't care about anything but the beer. I mean, they'll have a rum and Coke, right? Yeah. Yes. But the, they don't sure care. They will. Yeah. So I, I have transitioned almost exclusively to bourbon and the occasional margarita. And so I will be all set there. But that doesn't mean that my heart does not go out to those folks who will not be able to consume the quantities of beer they would choose to consume, especially over the holidays. But my guess is that being a somewhat ingenious set of folks here in the United States, we will find someplace else from which one can mine carbon dioxide. Although again, I, you know, it would seem to me that if you're in there with your little pick and shovel with your little miner's helmet on and you tink, 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 and you hit the carbon dioxide, it would just whoosh right off into the air. So I, I, I would like to see how this mining actually works. Yeah. And there's probably some sort of show on the, uh, the Discovery Channel, right? Because they have the gold rush, the gold miners. They oh, have yeah, the, that's right. Yeah, the you, guys out yeah. there fishing for trout or catfish in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Sea. Uh, so it's, you know, they, they, they probably have something where people are, are mining the carbon dioxide. I, I just haven't seen it. I don't know about it, but I know that there's been nothing more than a uh, um, some some level outrage at the potential for there being no beer for football in the fall. And that, listen, based on this report, uh, and this uh, Jackson Dome, which no one even knew existed, but it does. Um, you know, this is a very real possibility. So we don't want to panic people. That's not we're not in the panic business. No. But if I were a small business owner and I enjoy beer, I'd run out and buy as much of it as I could right now. Well, I suppose, you know, this may not be as good, frankly, isn't as good. I think we can all say that. But I mean, look, flat beer will be available. Next, Brad, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. You've got the governor of Florida, the governor of Texas taking some of the illegal, 
sorry, some of the foreign nationals um, from the borders who are coming over and being allowed to uh, sort of caught and released into the United States, taking them and bringing them to other locations like Martha's Vineyard and uh, the vice president's home uh, at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., New York City, Chicago, Baltimore. They're just moving them all over the place uh, to prove a point. And it's it's a pretty interesting political point. Um, But uh, what what I find great about this is a couple of things. One one is sort of the reaction, because now we've got a little bit more of a screenshot of this than we did last week. But the reaction from the people on Martha's Vineyard who literally declared a quote unquote humanitarian crisis because they had these 50 people on the island Mm -hmm. and fed them a couple of meals. And then as soon as they could, they put them on buses and get them on a ferry and get them the hell out of there uh, over in Cape Cod where they put them on a military base. And now they're they're dealing with them you know, over there. But it's just it's a typical like NIMBY, not in my backyard attitude. So I think that's great. And then I heard uh, recently, I think as, as recently as today, you know how they track the airplanes like they, they can always tell you what airplane there's someone sure. tracking the tail yeah, numbers. Sure. So so on, on the morning Joe show, which I think is your favorite show on the TV, they started tracking this plane that DeSantis moved all these uh, uh, immigrants up to Martha's Vineyard in. And it was on the go again from that same Texas town where it picked up the immigrants last time. But yeah. this time it was headed to Delaware. And it's headed to to the uh, town where Joe Biden has his twelve million dollar mansion on the beach, nice. um, and uh, so that is, I, I assume, that's the next thing that we're going to uh, we're going to hear about it. But in in this land of you know everything is uh, constant politics and, and people trying to one up the other person, it seems like at least in this case the um, uh, the, the the good uh, governor of Florida may be having the upper hand over your uh, your your president. And mine. Well, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, or for better or for worse, he, he's all of our president. But and, and to your point, you nailed it. I mean, th- this is all about politics, right? And it's all about making a point, making it graphically. I, I think in this case, doing it also humorously. I mean, I just I, I think it is amazing that DeSantis and Abbott, you know, have the chops to do stuff like this, because it does bring home the point, right? Hey, if you're currently jumping up and down, screaming this is a humanitarian crisis, that these people are racist because of of these flights and buses that they're putting the migrants on, simmer down, okay? Because no matter where those migrants, and it it is just, it's it's indicative of where we are, the fact that that we even use that term, right? These folks are illegally in this country. These are not immigrants who have gone through the very well-defined process that this country has for bringing folks in, which we do at a high level every year. Right. If you if you're unaware of how many folks legally enter this country every year, look it up. It's a big number. Okay. That so if you think oh the process is too difficult to that that's not true. Okay. And we need a process. So all of these folks that we are now calling migrants, right, as though they were just moving from one place they were to another place they were both of those places legally. That that's not true. These folks have illegally entered the country, right? and no matter where they go upon illegally entering this country, they're in someone's town. Okay, so someone is bearing the burden and not surprisingly, everywhere where these large populations of folks who are in this country illegally have gone, crime has skyrocketed, right? Now, now, pipe down, Snowflake, I'm not saying they're bad people, but they don't have stuff. They have to eat, they, they, they need to be clothed. I get all that, and so since they don't have stuff, and no one is actually taking responsibility for them, 
it's not surprising that they break and enter into places and take that stuff. Okay, so that's happening in someone's town every day. And it's only by virtue of the fact that you don't live near the border that it's not your town. So before anybody else complains about it being Martha's Vineyard or the vice president's house or the president's summer home, you're going to have to explain to me why it's fair that your countrymen have to support that burden and you don't, right? If it were up to me, they would be taking the migrants and putting them in every single town in the United States until everyone said, hey, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we should just enforce the immigration laws that are on the books and this won't be a problem. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. It's it's a classic not in ba- my backyard type deal. And it, it's also a classic uh, liberal thing, right, where you, you love to give the money and go to the benefits. But then, of course, you know, when it's in when it's in your face, you don't want anything to do with it. And they they bust those people out right away, which I was shocked at um quite frankly but they they did now they're on a military base and and it's a terrible thing to do to somebody but of course these people are here illegally they're crossing the border some of them are repeat offenders who come over over and over again and what the biden administration is doing just releasing them is uh is is criminal uh finally brad i i wonder i i I was glued to the television this week and i'm sure you were the telly uh watching the uh goodbye the long goodbye to Queen Elizabeth uh, II, who uh, of course ruled for 90 years on the throne. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course it's a tragic uh, thing and a um, something that I don't, I don't know if you and I are gonna get over. So w- were you thinking the same thing I was thinking, which was, oh my goodness, this is becoming all too real. Um, is, there a, uh, is there a way we could potentially uh, um, you know, get through this with King Charles. Uh, will King Charles and the Megxit get back together? What about the Duchess of Cornwall, who's now the queen? And uh, did you see Charles crying and tearing up? I mean, it's all terrible, terrible stuff, but uh, it does have somewhat of a cathartic feel to it. Yeah. Didn't watch a minute of it, buddy. Can't comment. Not a second? Not one second. Not even when uh, the queen's horse of choice, I believe it was a pony, um, Esther, I think the name was Lucy or Esther, trotted down the street with the queen's um, favorite uh, shawl on the back of it. What? The pony trotted down the street, was trotting around with the, the queen's scarf. The queen's shawl. Scarf, shawl. What is, is that tradition? Is it- when you bury a monarch, do you put their shawl on some horse and have it, you know, frolic? I- <laughs> Well, I think that when a queen who has ruled for over 90 years passes away, mm-hmm. they put what appeared to be a headscarf on a pony and the pony just frolicked down the street. Well, okay. I mean, I mean listen, I'm not against it. If, if that's how you do it, that's how you do it. And it's, I appreciate the folks of the United Kingdom getting it done. If you're going to you know, dress up a pony in some of the queen's old clothes and you know, have it scamper down the street, if that's how you want to do it. That's how you should do it now. Having said that, I liked the queen. I think she certainly paid her dues. I do not think she was a particularly successful rearer of children, as I think has been demonstrated time and again um, by looking at her progeny. But hey, you know what? You live in a glass house, probably shouldn't throw rocks. Who knows how my uh, children are going to turn out? I haven't, pretty, I haven't you know, raised them pretty, to completion yet. Pretty sure that you're not going to have any of the issues that she had. Well, I'm, I, I'm certainly hoping not. Uh, and I do you know, wish 
her family the very best in this time of mourning. Uh, but no, it's it's not a uh, you know it wasn't high on my watch list. That's hard to believe. But anyway, I'll I'll move on. But I I, I will say touching tribute, and and we'll continue to focus. I mean, now that now that we have a, a king over in England, I guess there are a lot of questions about what type of ruler he'll be. Uh, will he be changing the UK's foreign policy? Will he be deciding to re-enter the European Union? And then does that potentially open him up uh, to the possibility of taking additional kingdoms in the uh, human game of risk? All this is uh, is on the table. But what I really liked about this, Brad, was that you know President Biden goes to this thing and he is literally seated in nosebleed seats, right? He is seated in like the 12th row, row away in the back. And of course... And this is what you know American politics does. Of course, during the um, uh, during the the thing, we, I mean, they've, they've been mourning for like a month and a half now, and they, I guess it's the funeral mat. I don't even know. Um, but the by, Trump is Trump is tweeting out, or he does not on Twitter anymore, but he's however he's communicating, issuing a press release saying that basically. Biden is in the, the you know the the uh, the cheap seats and he's got uh, he doesn't have a view and if I were the president I'd be in the front row I mean it's just this crazy thing that you tell he just dictated to his uh, into his smartphone uh, right away and then <laughs> and then issued it and so the the news media is reading this tweet during the funeral mass showing a picture of Biden barely awake and you can barely see the top of his head because he's way 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 in the back um, it just sort of sheds a light on where American politics is right now. Yeah, we have fallen to the point where you know, the chief executive of what used to be the most powerful country on earth is you know, in the obstructed view seating for the Queen's funeral and his political opponent is just kicking <laughs> him in the nuts over it. Just can't wait. Yeah. I mean, as soon as he sees him, you know, he's dictating something, he's typing something, he's, he's writing it out with a you know, quill, who knows? But he's got to get it out there, right? He can't, he can't let it go. I mean, that's just where we are. And unfortunately, I think until, you know, so sort of this generation of politicians passes, uh, this is where we're going to be. Right? I mean, this is, we've asked for it, right? I mean, there's, and everyone here is to blame, right? So, I mean, if, if you don't like Trump, God bless you. There's a lot not to like about Trump. But don't forget that this is just turnabout. Right, because for the entire four years Trump was president, no matter what he said or did, someone was kicking him right in the nuts over it. Right. And so this is just him returning the favor. Right. And so until we get some adults who can, you know, maybe take a shot and let it go and, you know, move on and understand there's there's bigger fish to fry, this is what we're gonna have. Yeah, I think it, and 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 again, it, it's not to take away from the pageantry of the event because just the thought of that pony frolicking, and then the Queen's piper came in and piped uh, the final hymn. I think I think he played Battle Hymn of the Republic as she was lowered into the, uh, the sarcophagus, sarcophagus oh. or whatever. I think she was yeah. into the belly of the beast, so to speak. Uh, but it was lovely, and that piper. You know, I don't know how you get your your own personal piper, but. You know, I mean, it was beautiful. The pageantry was there. American politics wedged its way into this thing. But all in all, I think a successful week for the Queen. King Charles is now in charge. And that maybe that should have been our song this week. But uh, Brad, a lot of chaos is going on in the world of chess. Of course, Jared brought the story to our attention of uh, apparently there is some controversy with world number one's uh, the world number one player, Magnus Carlsen, who I believe 
you and I follow uh, religiously on the Instaface. Also, I'm not sure if we've seen him in studio, but one of the most mag magnetic uh, chess players of all time has um, been having some issues lately with a uh, uh, an opponent uh, mm -hmm. who he, um, uh, you know, again, he is uh, world number one. The opponent is more of a prodigy. I think he's been described as a prodigy. Hans Niemann, who I believe is from the Bronx, uh, and there have been a couple of recent matches, one where uh, Hans Neiman, the prodigy, defeated Magnus Carlsen. And um, it, it was I guess it was shocking. It's the equivalent of, uh, um, you know, Hulk Hogan getting pinned by the unpredictable Johnny Rods. And after it happened, it turned out that there is uh, this accusation that the um, uh, that the, the the prodigy. Right, not mm -hmm. the the world number one, Hans Niemann. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work or not. Yeah, no. Yeah, but there are some bizarre cheating allegations, uh, including uh, the allegation, which I guess has been documented, that Hans Niemann is using what are referred to as vibrating anal beads to receive tips mm -hmm. from a confederate. And it's a claim, I, I have to say in full disclosure, and we've done these chess segments before, although not anything quite like this. It's a claim that uh, Heinz uh, Neiman, uh, Hans Neiman has denied. He's denied it. But again, uh, I guess so he just denied the vibrating part or the, the whole thing. I mean, is he saying, yes, I use the anal beads, but they don't vibrate. Or where are we with that? I, I do not know exactly what he has denied. I, I think it's just a denial of the entire incident. But I would say that the theory is that someone, I suppose, is using some sort of Morse code to tell him where to move his uh, his chess pieces uh, through and the Morse code is coming through the anal beads. Hmm. One, what a great time to be alive, right? I mean, there is such a thing as a vibrating anal bead. Like, I, I don't know what we really need that for, but apparently that exists and it even exists to the point where you can control it remotely, right? So in some minor way, this has to reflect upon the fact that, that you know, we live in, in fairly peaceful times, that people can turn their attention to this gap that we've had in technology up until this point where, you know, we've said to ourselves, well, what are we doing? We don't have any vibrating anal beads. It can be, you know, remote controlled. Let's fix that. And we've done it. We've done it here in the uh, mm -hmm. 21st century. So, you know, there we are. So that's great. That would seem to be good news. I, uh, I, I'm not really sure what to make of the allegation of cheating. I, I, again, I guess from a certain perspective, it's somewhat ingenious. Um, but I, I, but he isn't there. Isn't there? I mean, can't you just take a page out of like the Houston Astros book and just you know put the thing on your chest? I mean, why, why, why does it have to be, uh, you know, in the backyard, as they say? Well, I think it's because th this is a um, a person that likes to do things the right way, and it seems like this is this would be, I mean, theoretically the right way. I can tell you this: um, he, uh, the the Neiman kid, um, has uh, said he's, he's denied this, and he, mm -hmm. he said he has never. This is a quote: "Never cheated in an over the board game." Uh, if they want me to strip fully naked, I will do it. I don't care because I am clean, man. You want me to play in a closed box with zero electronic transmission? I don't care. I'm here to win, and that's my goal regardless. But 
but uh, critics point out that his rating indicates that he really is not as good as he appeared to be during this uh, anal bead assisted match. And in fact, during a follow-up match, Brad, which took place a couple of weeks after the anal bead assisted match, um, the world number one player, the grandmaster himself, Magnus Carlsen, made one move and resigned and he turned off his TV set, his camera. Uh, of course, this is all done via Zoom. No one is in the same room. Hence, the, you can't tell you know, about the anal beads. Uh, and I don't know, to your next question, I don't know if they're battery operated or if they're directly plugged into an outlet. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, the next match, Carlson resigned and shut off his screen and walked away. And so that leads people to believe that Carlson is no longer going to play matches against the anal bead aided Hans Neiman, if that makes sense. I, I'm not sure that it does mm -hmm. in many respects. But to harken back to the previous segment, if there is one area where you can calmly and comfortably and confidently stand in saying, not in my backyard, it would be this area. Okay, so I, I am going to say that. I, I, I don't know much about chess. I know nothing about anal beads. I don't know anyone named Hans. I have very few remote control devices. But I will tell you that none of that is happening in my backyard. Yeah, I mean, well, that's not necessarily clear either. But I am, I am gonna. We'll just put a, we'll put a, uh, we'll put a, a cork in this and uh, say so that. To speak. Correct. Say Maybe that's that, the solution. You make every player, you know, sort of you, you cork them, and then there can't be anything up there. And then you, that, you know, you use a wax seal so you can tell if there's been any tampering, and then subsequent to the game, you know, you uh, you can be rid of that. I guess the question is who is going to uh, enforce that and who is actually going to perform the uh, surgery? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that necessarily requires surgery. I mean, you just have to have, I mean, I presume it's, it's international chest. There's not a corker. Well, that's the There's thing. not even someone if, with that job you already. You get some, you get some lube and a, a cork. Uh, who's going to want to do it. I, I just presume there's someone that they have for that. It's an international chess match. I mean, what else do these people do? Yeah, that's a good point. I can't, I can't get my mind around this. We'll have to move on. Next, Brad, we go to the uh, the beautiful town of Woburn, Massachusetts. Woburn, of course, is in the heart of the uh, Bay State, mm -hmm. the Bay State, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely, uh, lovely, lovely, lovely place. Um, well, uh, th and this is a common problem we've talked about from the beginning of time, but now the uh, Massachusetts town of Woburn has been overrun overrun by uh, a rafter of turkeys a rafter of turkeys is that like a murder of crows or a pod of whales correct okay it is a pair it is apparently a, a, a notorious rafter of turkeys that are wandering around the streets attacking locals chasing cars holding people hostage in houses people can't even leave their home um, the rafter has chased down uh, people uh, and forced them back into their house. And if they come out, there are people being pecked, people being pecked. Mm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are uh, wondering what the genesis of, the whole, of this whole thing is. Apparently, there was um, widespread feeding of the rafter of turkeys, and that has made them peckish, if you will. Mm. And, uh, and so they are... Um, uh, they're, they're causing all sorts of problems. And, and there are a lot of people that are 
very concerned. In fact, there are people that are close to the turkeys too, which is interesting. Megan Tolson, for example, who is a town official, has said, and I quote, the most aggressive turkey is Kevin, um, who is she's, apparently she's taken to naming the creatures that are terrorizing her town. Even if wow. you're parked, Kevin will try to get in your car. You have to open your passenger side door and lure them over there, then make a clean break to the house out of the other side of the car. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, I, I think this is becoming... Uh, a pandemic of sorts of rafters of turkeys attacking and terrorizing people. And they don't appear, there's no fear. I mean, these birds are fearless. And I guess the question is, and you're somebody with a background of uh, uh, in, in law enforcement, I believe you've dealt with similar issues before with fowl. Um, you know, the question is, how do you, how do you handle this? Well, but I, I, you know, the way I look at it, there's, there is one, you know, sort of thing that the, the rafter of turkeys, I, and again, I, I, I was not familiar with that term. I don't know how many constitute a rafter. Are there sub rafters? I don't, I mean, I, I so I, I'm going to presume that rafters a lot of turkeys, at least one of which is named Kevin, uh, who's apparently a particularly aggressive. But what these turkeys need to be aware of is that Thanksgiving is coming. Yeah. Okay, and so, you know, it's all fun and games in September, October, but when November rolls around and people are saying to themselves, you know what I need? A turkey. And, uh, you know, prices are skyrocketing in the grocery store, as we've already discussed. I happen to have this little pea shooter over here. I'm just going to go get me a turkey. And I think you'll find that uh, Kevin rues the day. Yeah, I mean, apparently there's also a Monica, Esther, Patricia, and Gladys that I see here. Um, so they've, they've named them, uh, all, all of them. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult situation. I mean, I guess we'll just have to keep our prayers out there for the people of, uh, Woburn who are going through much of what the people in, um, Japan are going through with the uh, typhoon. Finally, Brad, um, barter band, the, uh, uh, award-winning segment. It's where you and I go through and take some very controversial, um, hot button topic. One that, uh, is uh, sure to uh, lead to divergence of opinion, but one also that's important for business owners to get their arms around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this week, of course, you and I have gone through a lot of these crazy challenges. Like remember the Tide Pod challenge where kids were eating multiple Tide Pods and, and seeing the reaction uh, to their body? Yeah, I, I, I do remember that. This is going to be worse or? Where well, I don't know. It, it, this is apparently another... Um, viral uh, TikTok challenge. It's uh, already sent a number of people to the hospital. It's called the One Chip Challenge. It's a viral food challenge um, that is recurring daily online. And it's basically a dare created by Pocky. Pocky, a flavored tortilla chip company. Uh, every year they release a new spicy chip for the challenge. And this year, Pocky, Pocky has released the 2022 uh, version of the one chip challenge featuring the California Reaper chip, which is a high voltage uh, chip containing the supercharged Cali Carolina Reaper pepper and some stinging uh, scorpion pepper. Uh, and uh, apparently it'll also turn your tongue blue. And what's happening is social media users are being encouraged to eat the entire chip and to wait as long as possible before drinking or eating anything else or forcing yourself to vomit while you film the results 
of your uh, uh, you know, if you're enjoying the uh, the spicy chip, and then show your blue uh, your blue tongue afterwards, and, and you know sort of take a bow for all the kids out there. But apparently, this has sent a bunch of people to the uh, to the hospital. Some of them to the emergency room. Others just went to bed. Um, but it seems like a lot of people are wanting to bar or ban the Pocky One Chip Spicy Hot California Carolina Scorpion Chip Challenge. Hmm. Well, I, but I think we, we've found ourselves in situations like this before where you're sort of in a conundrum, right? I mean, it sounds like people could be injured, at least in some minor fashion, by engaging in this challenge. It doesn't, to me, sound as bad as the Tide Pod challenge where you're actually poisoning yourself. This just sounds like you're probably significantly damaging the inside of your mouth and your esophagus and perhaps your stomach. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I hesitate to ban it because this is the kind of thing that does help weed out the stupid. Right. Like I, you know, I, I, I think for you, for me, for the vast majority of folks listening to this program, for our children, they would watch this thing. They might chuckle to themselves. They might say, what a bunch of dummies. Uh, but I am never doing that, right? I'm never putting a chip in my mouth that could potentially send me to the emergency room, certainly not on purpose and certainly not solely for the purpose of making a TikTok. I'm not doing any of that. And so I, I guess I'm less concerned with the folks who would do it, right? Like maybe this is just what they need to learn a valuable lesson. So I am going to say, let it roll. No banning, no barring. Well, I mean, that that's that's nice. I, I, I come at it from a different point of view. I, I kind of like to think of the whole uh, role of government is to be the watchdog of society. Uh, so you want government to make sure that everyone is taken care of. And when they can't make good decisions, the government should do it for them. So I'm going to say ban this toxic Carolina Reaper chip. I'm going to say ban it, bar it, whatever you need to do, get rid of it so that our kids can focus on schoolwork, uh, the homecoming dance, potentially getting a leg up on the competition in that regard, uh, and pay a little more attention to the death of the world's longest serving monarch. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm going to say that. I'm going to say I'm going to bar it or ban it or both. Well, that's fine. I mean, I think everyone is entitled to their opinion. That is certainly yours. I think the problem with that is that these chips could get to the rest of the royal family and perhaps wipe them all out. Hello. And then where will we be? Where will we be? I mean, I, I don't see a person among them that could handle a Carolina Reaper tortilla chip. I mean, that's just not something that uh, the royal family has faced before. And so we could wind up in a situation where we don't have anyone to root for, to uh, you know, be the king or the queen or the Duchess of Cornhole or, or anything else. And I don't think yeah. we want to find ourselves in that world. But, buddy, regardless, regardless of whether the royal family continues or does not, whether people eat corn chips or they don't, whether they go to the emergency room as a result or not, you and I will be right back here next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. <laughs>